0: Lots of younger protesters who showed up last summer and have carried on into this year are completely anti-press. Then on the other side of things, you have people yelling that you're, you're fake news and you're, you, know, you're, you need to go away because you're not going to tell the real story. You have an agenda. And then you have the police. This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we'll take a closer look at what it's like for news and observer journalists to cover protests on the ground.
1: I'm Don Vaughn for the News and Observer. And on this episode of Under the Dome's Closer Look, we're talking about covering protests and what that looks like on the ground. Joining me today is Julia Wall, a News and Observer visual journalist who has covered um, so many protests the past year, um, other years. And Julia, thanks her for being here with me today. And uh, tell me a little bit about the range of things that you've covered that people should know.
0: Sure, thank you for having me. Um, the range of protests it it really ranges everywhere from the the second uh, women's march and rally in Raleigh um, all the way to you know HK on J which isn't as much of a protest as it is an an event um, to Black Lives Matter protests Confederate monument conflicts um, the March for Our Lives after the Parkland shooting there's there's a huge range of of topics that people hit the streets about in in Raleigh and Durham. Um, coronavirus virus related would be reopen NC protests. and yes, it, it's been a, a wide variety of following folks around in the streets.
1: So you've covered a lot of these for the past you know about four years now. Tell me about what it was what it was like when the the, the first wave of when you were covering protests in 2017 and how you went into it as a photographer. And so shooting both, you know, stills and video and and what you've learned over the years, how things have changed, what you can't prepare for. So tell me what it was like going in initially and then kind of where you are now, you know, years later after um, so much experience doing this.
0: Sure. So I believe one of the first big events that I covered after joining the NNO was in the late summer of 2017 after Charlottesville Happened. There was an event in Durham that my colleague Casey Toth covered, in which a Confederate monument was pulled down in front of the old Durham courthouse. And about I want to say about a week later, it was rumored that the the KKK was going to march through downtown Durham. And keep in mind, you know Heather Heyer had just been killed by a car in Charlottesville, and so it was a really heated, tense day that a lot of people showed out for. um, And it did not end up happening, but the the tension and the fear. Uh, was there. And that was my first big experience with following a big crowd around who were determined to keep people uh, who would be associated with something like the KKK out of downtown Durham. It was a, a hectic day. The clashes that we anticipated did not end up happening. We had a, a whole team effort. And it was, a, it, as, for as an experience for me, having just joined the newspaper, it was a way for me to work within a team of photographers quickly to watch each other's back and make sure that we were getting information out from the ground quickly. It was a, a transformative experience for me as a, a team working photojournalist.
1: A little bit of background for listeners and especially, you know, lawmakers, you, you'll remember that the, um, the, the law changed in, in North Carolina about removing Confederate monuments and, and how things would be removed. And if the, um, not giving the government, if they're on government property. And so in Durham, um, I was covering Durham. Then uh, they, you know, protesters pulled it down, and it's not something that the county commissioners would have been allowed to take down themselves. And so, a lot of the Confederate monument protests in North Carolina have been different than other states, especially you know in the past year um, because of the the laws here. So, you've covered a range of the Confederate monument protests. So, and of course, there's you know Silent Sam. So. I want to ask you about uh, about what that's like and what the crowds are like. But what you just mentioned about the tension and fear in the air, um, and is, is that different depending on the particular event that brings people out, the 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 protest organizers, the march organizers, um, you know, the location is Raleigh different than Durham, different than Charlotte, than anywhere else?
0: Sure, uh, that's a great question. I think. Um When it comes to Black Lives Matter protests or Confederate monument protests, anything related to, you know, racial inequality and tension, there is a lot of real pain and trauma and fear that people are bringing into these spaces that are universal. They're they're not related to just, you know, one state or another Communities across the country can relate to the issues that are that are being brought up, and to the fear and the trauma and the pain that people are expressing um, during a lot of these marches. And there's a lot of different ways to to express that. And as a journalist, we have to kind of, you know, remain vigilant about uh, what is going on around us, and situational awareness is really important. But but really, to effectively tell the story of an event like that, you have to be in tune with how people are actually feeling, and it's not. Necessarily, always. Oh, we're just going to go protest to protest. There are certainly some folks who will who will inevitably be in the crowd who are there just to protest. But there are people who feel, you know, legitimately hurt by what's in the news, and that's what brings them out to some of these events. And then when it comes to Confederate monuments, it's also with Silent Sam, for for example. It was on a a public university's grounds. It was a public campus. Um, Students had a lot to say about it and how because people were coming in from more rural areas to quote unquote defend the monument or stand up for their Southern heritage. And it was, it was threatening. It was a threatening and hostile environment that was being created on a public university campus and students wanted answers to why that was allowed to happen over and over again. So a lot of um, tension about not feeling protected by their own university in those situations um, were were unique to that particular situation uh, on a on a university campus. It's different in a in a downtown or um, you know with dealing with a municipal government and county commissioners. But the university um, scenario in in that way was slightly different.
1: So there's a bill in the house now, and and it's you know who knows where it'll go. Um, the if it even passes the House, the House passes a lot of bills, and then it just goes to die in the Senate. Um, but one of them, so it's you know depends on who the what the leadership's priorities are for the session. But there's um, a relatively new one that would have um, discipline for students who damage property at protests. Do you think that that student protesters and and are it's a different feeling in the air on a campus versus a city's downtown? Or, um, you know, a larger metro area versus a small town as far as, as numbers, as far as the range of people who come out. I think, you know, those of us that have seen, um, you know, a lot of politically active people who, who you know, turn out for a lot of, there's there's same, same people in the crowd in some ways, you know. Um, and there's probably the same people in the crowd for certain issues, especially over the Confederate statues, right?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, it, it really varies depending on the place and depending on the the national conversation at the time as well. I mean I can really only speak to my experiences at UNc and now in Graham North Carolina and Alamance county, which are two ve- it's it's a very similar issue but it's very different because in in Graham for instance, the the conflict over the monument is playing out in the town square. no one can really not see it who passes through town. Whereas the UNC Confederate Monument um, conflict with Silent Sam, it was on a campus. People were coming to and from Chapel Hill for football games, maybe, but you could avoid that area. It it wasn't, you're not driving through McCorkle Place to get to, you know, the gas station or something. Um, So it's a much different environment, but there are people who um will show up in each place because it, it, you know, we're in a we're in an area of the state where there's a lot of universities, there's a lot of small towns, there's a lot of big towns, and they all kind of mesh together when it comes to a common goal. So, you know, there are people who will always arrive somewhere to kind of stand in between, you know, a group of people yelling racial slurs and a group of black community members who want to, use their first amendment rights and you know the same kind of folks will show up to to stand in between what they see as a dangerous situation for folks in communities that actually want to express how they feel about these things.
1: And where are you standing on all of this and and how are you feeling when there's, you know, two two sides groups of people that are are very unhappy with each other or very unhappy with the government or or law enforcement and you're standing next to the law enforcement too. So what, what is it like for you on the ground that, you know, people who see our coverage and or just hear about it or see a headline or one image or one video, what do they need to know about what that actual live ground experience is like since you're right there? you're I mean, you're right there, right?
0: Yes. Yes. We are typically in the middle. Um, it is uh, a unique experience because I'm Trying to listen on all sides of where I'm standing, I'm trying to have a, a 360 um, observational lens uh, as, as me myself, and then what I point my camera at um, will depend on you know how long the day has gone on, or whether or not there's tension rising, or whether I see a, a, a line of officers approach who look like they're in riot gear or you know ready to disperse people. It, it really depends. I think the, the most important thing. Um, to be aware of when you're in that situation is just being aware of everything around you, and you hear conversations that are really, oftentimes, difficult to translate or re-communicate, but are really important to the story and can inform how you uh, approach it the next time. So, you know, I mean, I take a very observational approach. I don't interview people at these events. I kind of let whatever's going to happen around me happen in front of me, and then try to piece it piece it together after it's happened. Whereas TV stations, for example, kind of have a bit more of a okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z approach for a broadcast. They're a bit more on a, a schedule with their broadcast and whatnot, so they kind of arrive needing to get X, Y, and Z. Whereas myself and my colleagues arrive getting whatever is going to happen. And people get upset when you know people on on one side or the other get a, uh, get interviewed and and maybe they don't or you know, the idea of platforming white supremacy or platforming racists in these uh, Confederate monument conflicts is a huge sticking point for a lot of people. And part of the story to me is also how they interact with media that decide that they want to interview both sides of each issue and kind of create this equivalency between the two sides that oftentimes the the people on the, you know, racial justice, Black Lives Matter side of things don't see the value in having uh, those folks' voices be broadcast to a larger audience and so the conflict around who gets to tell the narrative and who gets to tell the story of what's happening there is also a part of the story. We observe everything, how people interact with other media. Um, When You can can kind of anticipate when conflict is going to arise between people and the police because the police get ready and you can see it happening, um, in which case you just brace for it. And when two sides are kind of sparring with each other you just follow the tension because, you know, I've learned, at, especially recently, working on a project out of Alamance County, that video is really what is able to kind of dispel different rumors about what happened and who said what and and who did this and what law enforcement agency reacted in what way. There's a lot that's going to be said that's not accurate, and so being present for the the moments of conflict and tension that are probably later going to be used against people, um, is, is important to us to, to see what actually happened.
1: How do you handle when, you know, there are people that don't like the press, if it's protesters that don't trust the, if like what you're saying, if they think that you're, you know, you're showing this white supremacy side, you must be in league with them, or I don't like the government, you're in league with the government somehow with, um, Protesters, just anything. I mean, we've all, with the Capitol riots, you know, that was a terrible day for many people. And of course, people were were killed. And, but there's also, and among all those videos is protesters dragging a photographer and throwing them over, you know, a little wall. How do you, when you're in a situation where there are so many people around you, regardless of political persuasion, you know, everybody, like there's always people that don't, that don't like us. How do you handle that? How do you handle the, the, the danger, the, the discussion with them, you know, and some, you know, press have been, have been arrested or targeted by police um, and other cities. So how do you, how do you react or not react when, when people say things to you or, or approach you in a way that you feel threatening?
0: It's it's taken me a little while, but I've had to grow some thicker skin to to handle some of the the ways in which people feel um, the need to approach us when we're there. Depending on where we are, if people feel we're standing too close to them, lots of um, lots of younger protesters who showed up last summer and have carried on into this year are completely anti press, anti any documentation of some of the actions that they do. They tell people who come to their events. Um, not to record not to bring your phones if you can and then on the other side of things you have people yelling that you're you're fake news and you're you know you're you need to go away because you're not going to tell the real story you have an agenda and then you have the police so it depends on where you are i think the raleigh police department has backed off from what was more aggressive behavior towards us in the beginning of last summer's protests and durham i have I do not have as much experience in Durham, so I don't feel I can really speak on the Durham Police Department in regards to how they treat protests. But then in places like Alamance County, in Graham, I covered the March to the polls that happened on Halloween last year, and the second person to get arrested was a local journalist from the Alamance News whose office you could throw a stone at from where he was arrested, and he was standing right next to me when it happened that day I thought for sure I was going to get arrested. Um, I did not, thankfully, but I did have an officer grab my camera to try to push me back, um, which has happened before. And in that moment, you just kind of hope that you have, have the right words to express, you know, give me my space, don't touch my camera equipment, don't touch me, I'm not touching you. It, you know, there should be this kind of understanding of, of where we fit into everything and also, some people feel that we shouldn't have that access, that we shouldn't be an, an exception or an exemption from things like curfews or things like that. So it's it's kind of just being ready for anyone and everyone's opinions about you to come flying at you. And when a physical threshold is crossed, you just have to be ready to back away and not engage um, unless your physical safety is at risk, and in, in which case you just engage however you can to get out of the situation or move to another part of the situation. Um, So you can keep doing your job, but you're not in a a physical threat or at risk of becoming the focus of a group of people. Because if you become the focus of a group of people, you become the story. And unfortunately that's what happens to TV journalists a lot. And I've seen it time and time again, all of a sudden there's a a large group of people looking at you and trying to get you out of there rather than you being able to watch what's happening and, and kind of follow along with how the event transpires. If you become a part of the event, it becomes harder and harder to kind of do your job.
1: People have opinions about the press, but the Constitution is pretty clear um, about it. What do you think that people need to know, both at working government and politicians and the public, about what who we are and what we're actually allowed to do, whether or not you like it or not, and what our role is in America?
0: It is a big question. It is a big question and one that I have been racking my brain around, especially around the last year um, in, in photojournalism circles in particular, the question of whether or not just because you can, should you, it has been the focus of a lot of particularly Black Lives Matter protesters as it relates to being surveilled. So our role there is still to document you know, impartially what happens in front of us, which is why our I I feel like our observational approach is um is what works for us. It doesn't work for everybody. It's not how everyone would approach it. But I think what people should know is that I can't speak for everyone, but journalists especially at the end of we 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 do adapt to the scene and how people are looking at us and treating us and how you know, how we need to do our jobs differently. We're not hard lining on, I've always done my job this way, therefore I have to continue to do it this way. And if you don't like it, too bad. That puts us at risk. So we have to adapt to how we cover events so that we can continue to show people things that they would need to seat in order to hold agencies accountable, like when people get arrested, how the cops approach. Groups, no matter how whether they're showing aggression or not, how agencies respond to people exercising their First Amendment rights, um, is important to be able to see, regardless of whether or not they want us there. So I think what's important to know is that journalists are adaptable; they are not the enemy to anybody, even though sometimes people feel that they are. Our our work at the end of the day um, is to just tell the truth of what happened there, and uh, to the best of our ability, and. And that sometimes includes people trying to prevent us from doing that, if that makes sense. Mm
1: -hmm. I liked what you said about, uh, about adapting and how, um, I mean, even just the, the how, when you cover in the limitations with what, you know, your, your job and your editors and your deadlines are versus what's happening and how you can see a, a protest for 30 minutes at one time and then you know, three hours later, it's not the same same event at all. Uh, so how do you how do you encompass that story? How how do you you know work something out on the streets for five six hours, depending you know, and then and then know quickly on deadline how to? Of course, we do you know plenty of follow up stories, but how to present what happened you know as as comprehensively as you can, but still as quickly as you can. So, you know, the, the deadline there and something that's so action-oriented and that you constantly have to adapt to.
0: Right. So I will say, first and foremost, probably the most important thing we have available to us to be able to get that done is working as a team. We have people, you know, at home at their computer or in the office, checking in on us. We're sending videos onto Twitter. We're sending videos via text message, sending photos so that they have placeholder images so that we can continue to report. And then also get back to our computers, download our memory cards, you know, all of those non instantaneous images, um, that, that will come later throughout the night and just being together, keeping, keeping each other in our sights and, um, and having each other's back and communicating and and moving in groups, never being alone, that is one thing I'm so thankful to be on a staff. As a freelancer, it would be more difficult. But even as a freelancer, you got to find people who you can stick with because it's just not good to be alone in those situations. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's really about teamwork. It's really about paying attention really closely to what's going on the whole time, taking breaks when you need to, but being very situationally aware and also just very in tune and listening you just have to listen i mean i think a lot of i think a lot of journalism about protests can be very formulaic and while a lot of the protests especially when they're happening back to back to back sometimes they kind of fall into a rhythm it may generally be the same thing night after night after night but like we saw last summer a you know a protest group that emerged ended up you know they protested for several nights on end about about police killings and about uh, police killings in Raleigh, and then when SB 168 was um, was filed, and it would have, I believe, it would have kept uh, death records of people in police custody. It would have been even harder for families to access their their loved ones' death records if they died in police custody. Then the protesters protesters kind of took up the call of, okay, this this particular bill, we're going to protest against this particular bill. Then you're you're listening to a much different story. You're listening to a story through that particular lens rather than a whole bunch of different lenses. So something that goes on for five or six hours, you have to pay attention to how the mood changes, how people are interacting. Are people meeting each other for the first time? Are people who have worked together for years kind of leading the charge? Is anyone leading the charge? And are people, you know, speaking? Are people just marching? Are they chanting? You know, what is the general mood? And then how can that change over time? Um, it, it can change a lot over time, especially if you're going from from daylight in, into nightfall. And what I've also noticed is that there are there are plenty of folks who are kind of ready for a fight. But if the police if the police are present in riot gear, it does escalate the mood just just inherently and a lot of conflict. I think it's it's difficult for people to separate the idea of, oh, property destruction or graffiti or this, that and the third. Oh, that's bad. but it, but but we have to understand that it is also a reaction to how they're being reacted to. It's kind of this feedback loop or this cycle of, you know, aggression meets aggression meets aggression gets more aggressive. So it's um, not every time, but certainly in the first two nights of the the really big protests after George Floyd was murdered last year, um, the escalation um, was was definitely. Part, part of the escalation should be attributed to the presence of the police and how they interacted with the crowd.
1: Do you think decision makers should, should know that, um, I guess the the culture within within departments within towns within kind of what you were saying at the beginning. If we can kind of circle back to that as we finish up our conversation about about the feeling in the air at, at places. How, who do you think controls that that feeling in the air, or or can you?
0: I don't really think it's clear who controls the feeling in the air, especially now that we're moving away from. We seem to be moving away from more. Um, Organization-led actions and more into what folks refer to as autonomous actions. So they're they don't claim responsibility over bringing people together, or they, there's not a particular um, group that's you know being coalesced around to get this this crowd into the streets. It's a lot less clear who is leading the charge, and um, and so that that does make things a little it keeps you on your toes a bit more because you don't really know what they're going to do and they're you know in this in the past last summer and in other places you can kind of coordinate with people who you're you have confirmed either organized the event or know who organized the event they'll perhaps tell you what their route is if they're going to march or like you know we're going to go here and then we'll have speakers we're going to go to the governor's mansion and we'll have people speak and then we'll march here and now there's not really um, there's not really a line of access to Hey, what, you know, what do you all anticipate? What are, what's your marching route? You know, that, that's not really something we can ask um,
1: now, presently. And we'll see what happens, um, you know, tonight, tomorrow, you know, in the future and, and follow that. Uh, Julia, thank you for talking with me about, about what that's like um, covering protests on the ground that, you know, a lot of people don't see or realize. Um, So for the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, again, with Julia Wall. Thanks for listening.
0: For more from our politics team, subscribe to The News and Observer at newsobserver.com subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for our weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.